So this is it, the first episode of my brand new podcast, Learning As I Go. And for anyone who knows me, you know I've been on a crazy journey of self-development from back in my partying days when I was the ultimate party boy to now running three businesses. But at the same time is I'm very much at the start of my journey and I just want to learn as I go and pass on anything that I've learned. So my first guest is Gareth Palmer. Gareth has been my therapist now for over seven years. And even when I say that now, I really kind of struggle because I feel like there's a lot of stigma and taboo around seeking therapy in society. But I want to be brave and I want to be courageous and I want to share my story because I want it to help inspire someone else who might feel like they need to seek some help. And it's now time for you and I to start learning as we go. Here we are. How are you doing? My first ever guest on my first ever podcast. I feel honored. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining me, Gareth. And the main reason, obviously, I wanted to get you on is that this podcast is all about self-development and sort of learning as I go. And you have been a massive part of my self-development journey, probably the most integral part, if I'm honest. Thank you very much. For anyone who doesn't know, Gareth is my therapist. And Gareth, I've seen you for how long now? We, we had a ch- talk about this the other day. How long has it been? I think it's seven years, something like that, seven or eight years, but at different levels of intensity. So to, to start off, it was every week, and then it went every couple of weeks, and then we're at a kind of monthly pattern now. Yeah, well, to be fair, there was, there was times when I didn't turn up as well, weren't there, Gareth? So There were, I, I don't, yeah, there were definitely times when you didn't turn up, but you know my fee system on that, so yeah, yeah. <laughs> But listen, Gareth, we'll get to that. But before I started, I wanted to basically just raise sort of the issue around therapy and and seeking help being a little bit of a taboo subject, especially over the years. I think it's less so now. Yeah. But I feel like a lot of people are very nervous about sort of getting help and, and coming to someone like yourself. I think the first thing to say is I think you're absolutely right about therapy, about people being nervous about it. But I think it is different now. And I think particularly in the field of men, this is interesting. Because men, traditionally speaking, do not go for therapy. It's much, much more taboo subject for them because it involves discussing the emotions. And a lot of guys go out of their way to avoid discussing the emotions unless they're talking about their families and maybe, you know, City and United's form. This is why it's a big deal for men to come to therapy. In terms of changes, it's different for everyone. But what we're after for always is a warmer, kinder relationship to yourself and a more understanding one. I mean... If people don't understand how they've come to be the way they are, they carry on repeating the same behaviors. So it's really worth investigating. Why are you like this? Why have you operated like this for so long? Is that probably your biggest sort of attribute then, trying to raise people's level of understanding of themselves? Like, what is it that sort of brought you into this world of therapy? And, and what's, your, what's your background, Gary, for anyone who doesn't really know? My background is that I was originally a professor in a university. And I was looking into things like surveillance, consumer culture, reality television, all those areas, and lecturing and publishing a lot on that. I also wrote about masculinity a lot. And because I developed a big interest in masculinity, I thought it would be useful to be a therapist in the area. And I first qualified 22 years ago. 
So I was, you know, qualifying as a therapist at the same time I was in the, in the university, and it was only in my late 40s that I was able to start leaving the university and working more in therapy. But my interest in the men goes back to what I was writing about for a long time, and now what I've discovered in talking to so many hundreds of men over the past 14 years or so. So obviously, when I first came to see you, Gareth, I mean, it's that long ago now, I can't actually remember... Well, I can't remember how I felt, and I think... It's really important that I raise this as well, that you don't have to be necessarily depressed in order to go and see a therapist. Because for me, I remember how I felt. I was in my, my mid-20s and it was actually a good friend of mine, Tom Curl, who, who basically met you through someone else. And he basically worked with me at the time and he, he saw a lot of potential in me, but he also saw this sort of self-sabotage behavior that I had. Like I used to literally work all week and then just go missing on a Thursday night, go on a big bender and literally undo all my work in the gym, undo all my work in the office, lose some respect. And I kept doing it over and over again. And it was a self-sabotage relationship. And I, I, I couldn't understand why I was doing it. So I remember coming to you, Gareth. And can you remember what I was like when I first came to see you? Yes, I do. There's one good word for it. Frantic. Frantic. So you came in the office and you sat down, then you got up and then you sat down again. And we had to get five people to separate you from your phone. You were constantly looking at your phone. Your attention was like this all the time. I kept thinking, you must be involved in some serious stuff because someone's going to come through the door any minute now. You were frantic about your phone. It was ages before I could part you from your phone and say, put your phone over there. Otherwise, you're going to spend a whole hour doing this, which makes it really hard for me to do my job. That was the first impression you made on me was you need to be calmer. You need to settle down. You need to be still. And that's our project is getting you to a place where you will allow yourself to be still. But you were frantic on those first few visits, really, really busy, mentally all over the place. And your phone was like glue. And that's crazy now, because every time I come into a session with you now, the first thing I do is I go in a corner, I put my phones down and I don't look at them for that hour that I'm with you. And I think that's a credit to the work that we've done that I sort of managed to get to that point. When, when men do come to see me, the phone still plays a really, really important part in what's going on. And I have had the occasional client who will take business calls in the therapy session. So you're by no means the worst because I say I need to come to therapy. And it's as if turning up was the thing itself. That was enough. So you spend the whole time, okay, oh yeah, that's a really good point. And then I'm on the phone, then I'm talking, and then I'm on the phone. So this connection to phones is not an unusual thing. You've got to bear that in mind. The big thing is to change that connection. And what I've called it is a, uh, an addiction, not so much to Instagram, but an addiction to distraction. People are addicted to distraction because it enables them not to think about themselves. They just, you know, get lost in a world of images and ideas and ideals and distraction becomes, you know, of itself very all-consuming. So it's about changing that relationship so they understand why they're addicted to distraction. Yeah, I think that's a really good point because a lot of us, we're always trying to escape our own thoughts, aren't we, and our own sort of relationship to ourselves. And I think that's definitely where I was at. I was very confused at the time. I didn't really like the direction I was going in. I was this party boy and... I just basically, I felt like I lost myself and I feel like I needed to make some big changes and I needed to take action. And I think what you just said then was really important because it wasn't until I started taking our session seriously that I got something out of it, right? So yeah. I was kind of turning up and just, I wasn't really in it, so to speak. And it wasn't until I went, you know what, right, I'm going to literally give this my all. I actually stopped seeing you at one point because I wasn't consistent, was I? And I was going out on benders and not turning up and everything else. 
And it wasn't until one day when I, I remember ringing you again after not seeing you for a while and I decided, I went, I need to do this, Gareth, and I need to be relentless. I need to be consistent. And I said, I want to do one session a week and I would come and see you every Friday. Yeah. I remember it. And every Friday, it was something that I craved and looked forward to so much, being able to come into a room, right, and just unload and speak to someone who wasn't my friends, who wasn't my family, someone who was just objective. It was such a reassurance knowing that I had those sessions with you at the end of every week. And one thing that you always did was you always gave me such a different outlook and mindset and perspective on the situation I was in. Because sometimes you, in our brains, we create such a big problem out of something. Yeah. When really, when someone like yourself, especially with all the sort of background you've got and the skills that you've got, you really do just sort of put people at ease, you put me at ease and make me realize that I've also made a lot of more progression than I think I've done. It's about getting to that situation where you can put things down and someone else hears you in a different way. Because the fact is that most of us spend most of our time talking to ourselves. And we talk to ourselves with a lot of emotionally inspired thoughts. So we don't leave ourselves alone. We could often find ourselves being bullied by our thoughts. As if our thoughts were the boss of us, so we enter into this terribly difficult, awkward, testing relationship all the time. And anyone who gets the opportunity to put that down should take it. Otherwise, you get into a relationship where you continue to relentlessly police yourself. And it's very hard to relax because you lie there awake at night thinking, I haven't done this, I haven't done that. Being bullied by your thoughts. So coming to therapy is about changing your relationship to that and appreciating everything else about yourself and realizing that you are also a body, you're also emotional, and you're connected to other people. You're not just a bunch of thoughts. I think that's something that you always try and reiterate with me as well as like, the way I talk to myself even now, you're like, Scott, I don't like the way you're talking to yourself. Please, can you just be kind to yourself? And it is crazy because I think a lot of people relate to this. Like there's days when I wake up and I'm literally beating myself up before I even get out of bed. Like I'm overwhelming myself with all these thoughts. I'm like, there's nothing about today that I can't handle. Yet there's something in my mind telling me, oh, right, this person at work's talking about you. Oh, you've pissed this person off. And, and it's just, it's not even happening. But wh why does that happen, guys? Why does our minds run away with, with themselves? Why does that happen? So one of the reasons why it happens, and perhaps the most powerful, is the fact that we are emotional creatures. We're emotional before we can really think properly. So some of the things that happened to us in childhood, some of the most profound and difficult things that happened to us in childhood, are still with us. They are still with us today. So, for example, you talk to a client who's been bullied a lot. And he's bullied from the ages of 6 through 7 to 8 to 14. And then he finds a gym when he's 14, decides to change his shape. That's a response to a lifetime of bullying. You'll get people who are still following the emotional forces they had when they were children because they don't talk about it. Men don't talk about their emotions. But the fact is that men are engaged with their emotions by what they call overthinking. Overthinking something is to pile all your emotions into your thinking and to imagine your thinking will deal with it. The thinking won't. It will just create more problems. So you have to find a space where men can be emotional. Now, the way I phrase this, you may recall this, is that the emotions are like a giant territory, a huge space full of these demons, dragons, and wild rivers and everything else. And men have heard all about it, but they don't want to go. So they walk around the edges of this huge emotional territory and they occasionally hear something behind them, but they're not going to look at it. So instead, they are reacting to these terrible emotions that are going on, but not engaging with them. There's the distinction between reacting to emotions, which is immediately, did you spill my pint? I have to hit you now. 
I'm being with the emotions, which did you spill my pint? I understand why you spilled my pint. I have to be with my emotion of hurt and not act. I have to be calmer and kinder with myself because the emotions will drive you to do some crazy things. All of us. So you have to find a way of developing a dialogue with the emotions. Because if we don't have a dialogue with the emotions, we keep reacting to them instead of being with them. And reacting can be really dangerous. Being with is useful and takes us forward. I need to make, make it clear that emotions are fabulous things. But we want to have a life of balance in which our thoughts and our emotions work together. If you just have one without the other, you'll get into trouble. If you just think your thinking will solve all your problems, well, you know, it won't. And if you're entirely emotional all the time, as you know, you can go to pieces. So we find a way in therapy of bringing the thoughts and emotions together. So we dialogue with them. We don't get overwhelmed by them. It's labor, I'm afraid. I can't just, you know, <laughs> climb in some solve all my problems i got an hour it's not quite that but we we have to do exercises and gradual work to develop that relationship so would you say that that hour in the day when it's with you is that sort of space where someone can come in and actually deal with their emotions put their emotions out there which is something that we don't ever stop to do in our day-to-day lives men don't do that men don't do that unless it's those officially sanctioned subjects which which are sports and maybe the family But for the most part, men ignore their emotions and it's quite dangerous to do that. It makes them unbalanced partners. Mm. And listen, I know we're talking a lot about men here because obviously that's your specialty and and your your movement is called Men Should Talk. But at the same time, I know that you also deal with females as well because I've actually sent some to you and I don't want to sort of just rule out the importance of therapy for women as well. You know, in in my book, the point is that my, my therapy is definitely not gender specific. The tools I've developed are very definitely for use by men and women alike. It's just that my brand is attracting men to come and talk to them because there aren't enough of us doing this kind of work and getting men to develop levels of emotional literacy, which are really, really useful. What I've found when I'm talking to women is that some of the women I know are very, very much in tune with their emotions, but their relationships sometimes to their thinking isn't quite what they want. So it's about helping everyone to understand that the way they are isn't something that they've consciously worked out. So we develop relationships to our bodies, to, our, to other people, to our emotions and our thinking, partly consciously, but partly unconsciously. So if you've got someone, for example, I've got an example of a client who goes to the gym every day at 6.30 a.m. for an hour. And you think, well, that's a lot of discipline. And when you discover that man is 63, you think, right, what's going on here? What is that hour doing that his emotional life is not doing? And something is actually happening there. He wants his body to do the work his emotions aren't. He's not engaging with his emotions. He's just hoping the body will just cast them aside. And he confuses the pheromones release with something else. So it's about discovering gentler, kinder ways of interacting with ourselves, warmer, softer ways of being with us. And we can only do that if we allow the emotions to be, but not just to react from them. So you'll know that story of the hard man, you know, tough guy. I've met a lot of tough guys and they'd be watching TV and then suddenly a, a biscuit commercial comes on, you know, and they psh, burst into tears. <laughs> okay, so <laughs> that's happening because they have no dialogue with their emotions, but the emotions are still there. They're still there in the background, but something will just release them and they will start crying and you think, okay, well, maybe we need to talk about that. Maybe we need to change a relationship to your emotions so you feel more comfortable with them. 
So would you say that's when people come to see you then, that's one of the most common problems then across the board, the people just not being in touch with their emotions and people needing that sort of outlet there to sort of air them? I think the, the, the common reason people come to see me is because they don't know what's going on. They don't understand, for example, why they're unhappy. They confuse making a lot of I know this is a cliche, but they confuse making a lot of money with happiness. They think, I got a lot of money, why aren't I happy? Well, it's a bit more complex than that. They don't understand why they react the way they do to things because they are stuck in their habits. They habitually think this way about certain things. And when something else happens, they struggle to cope with it. So people come to see me principally because they don't know what's going on. And they go into their thinking to try and sort it out. And their thinking is not the best place to go because there's a lot more to them. There's a body, there are other people, and there are emotions. So when I first came to see you, Gareth, and... I was, I think, about 25 years of age. I was a big party boy. And I mean, a lot of people talk to me now as if I've mastered turned my life around and everything else. But from a therapist's point of view, my therapist's point of view, what sort of progression have you seen and what work do you think made the most sort of impact on my journey? The first big change that occurs to me about you, and I think this is really, really important, is that you learned how to be on your own. I think one of the things that was really difficult at the start of our sessions was that you really were the Scotty special, a huge, you know, 24-7 entertainer when you're working hard all the time. And I had to do a lot of work to get you to go, you know, it's okay to be alone. A lot of people think being alone means being rejected. They've grown up with the idea that people who are alone, there's something wrong with them. But if we're not alone, we can't develop anything. And it's harder to develop warmth for us. So that is one very, very big change that you are good now at being alone and you appreciate it. I actually remember you telling me like, because I used to finish work, would drive home and I would do anything I could to avoid going home and spending time on my own. I would literally drive to a, um, a friend's house, family, my brother's. And literally, I remember you saying to me, Scott, you need to get really comfortable being on your own. And I used to drive and force myself to go home and spend time on my own. And at first, I hated it because I had to deal with all my thoughts and process a lot, especially when I went sober because there was no escaping it. But literally, over time, it was like a muscle that got sort of stronger and stronger. And literally now, Gareth, I love being on my own, like a little bit too much to the point where I'm so comfortable in my own skin, in my own company, that... I feel like he said it, it's an actual superpower now. And I think a lot of people always have to be surrounded by other people. And I think by doing that, you kind of lose yourself. This is a really good example. I know lots of guys, this is very, you know, upsetting, but I know lots of guys who are staying in their relationships because they would rather stay in an unhappy relationship than be alone. Because being alone means that they might have to face what's going on with them. Being alone might mean we have to work out change. What does change mean? How do we do change? And they don't want to do that, so they stay unhappily married. This is a very, very, very difficult way to live. But being alone is, you know, if you think about our culture, it's people who've chosen to be alone who are able to write things and make things and work things out. Otherwise, you spend your entire time with the group. And the group can be a dangerous thing. We're tribal people. And, you know, previously, the group was, the tribe was a really important thing. You're in the tribe and staying alive or outside the tribe and dying. So we have a very profound, deep kind of historical association with tribes. However, if we don't, if we're always in the tribe, then we're never figuring out things for ourselves. We're always listening to what everyone else says, following what everyone else says, and never getting a chance to appreciate ourselves or to think that we have anything of value to say separate from the tribe. But we do. But it's difficult for men to separate themselves out from the tribes because they've always been determined by them. 
You know those guys who, i got to go out on Friday night and have 12 pints because all my friends are going out on Friday night. I know guys who've been excluded from friendship groups because they've decided they don't always want to do that because they read that decision to leave as exclusion, as a rejection of the group. But the group can be a really dangerous thing when it leads you into behaviours which are essentially prolonging boyhood. But if I'm honest, Gareth, that's massively what happened to me. Like in my 20s, I became this the Scottish special. I became this ultimate party boy. Yeah. And I literally, like you said, I felt like I had to behave in a certain way, drink to excess because I felt like that's what the cool thing was to do. And it was really hard for me to go yeah. to step away from it. I remember you saying like... So this, this kind of answers your question. You know, this is a good answer to that question of the noticing the changes in you. The big change in you has been the strength to say, actually, I'm not always having to be in the group and following the group ethos. I can be my own person. I can change my relationship to myself. I could determine what I want for myself. You've got to only going through therapy and understanding your emotions. Were you able to make that change? Would you say, Gareth, as well, like you kind of have to understand what it is you want to do as well. What is it that makes you happy? And you can only really do that by spending time working on yourself and getting these emotions out there. Yeah, because you can't work that out in the group. Because all the group want from you is co-validation. We all want to get drunk. We all want to be like this. We all want to work 40, 50 hours a week and then get drunk together. But there's not a space to work anything else. It's not a space to get inventive or creative or really caring about yourself, to follow like that. But it happens a lot with men. So what would happen, Gareth, now, um, say, if someone decides to come and see you? What kind of, what's the process like? How do you start? Well, the process is I still offer this free one-hour consult to start to find out what's going on with the person and to feel, you know, to know they're going to be at ease with it. If they're not at ease, please don't come. But if they do sign up, we have five sessions and we look at the relationship to the body, how it formed, what happened to you, the relationship to other people, how they formed, how important those are still to you. We look at your relationship to your thinking and we ask that wonderful question, is, are you a servant to your thinking or are you a master of it? And then we look at your relationship to your emotions and we go through those. You get homework, there's plenty of work to do, as you may recall. I give you exercises. You do those in between sessions. And in the fifth week, we design a kind of journal in which you note what's going on with you for the next few weeks and few months. And then you come back and see me every two weeks, three weeks, every month. So what we do is we get you to rethink your relationship to yourself in a new way. And at the core of this is this understanding and compassion. It's really important not to blame yourself for what happened to you, but to understand how you got to have these relationships. I think that's such a powerful tool, though, to have someone like you to come in and give that whole new perspective on someone's identity. Because sometimes we get so consumed by the way that we think that we're perceived, that yeah. who we are, that I we mean, actually yeah. don't really see who we actually are. We don't value ourselves. And all, we, all any of us have is our own perception. And if your perception is really dark and focused on what's going wrong, it feels pretty awful. So it's great to be able to go there and say, actually, the way I am with my body, for example, isn't something I chose. And go to the gym, well, just going to the gym doesn't demonstrate much of an understanding of the body because it's just mechanical. You have to think, what else is going on in that relationship? How am I looking after my body? And nutrients aren't enough because you've got to give it love and care and attention, not just discipline. I think there's something um, really special about taking that step as well to invest into your own mental health as well, because I think a lot of us, like, yeah. I say this all the time, we're very quick and sort of easy in spending money on a nice coat to impress someone else or buying a round of drinks at the bar for everyone. And 
But when it comes to spending money on our actual mental health and investing into our emotions, it's something that we go, it's the last thing that we want to invest in, right? This is a really good point because, you know, some people will decide they're not turning up. And I find, why aren't you turning up for the session? And it's because they've decided to d- develop the idea that other people have of them. I'm going to buy drinks for these people. I've got to go out with this. I've got to keep working hard. So they don't prioritize themselves. And the really big step in therapy is to say, for the process, for the duration of this program, at least, I'm going to prioritize myself. I'm going to come to understand me, what's going on with me, and I'm going to work on that. And that's a big step for a lot of men. It's a big step. But for anyone listening right now, like, honestly, as soon as I committed to this process and working on myself, it was the best thing that ever happened to me. And I've got you to thank, Gareth, because you just gave me that sort of perspective that I never really had of myself. And you also were there to say, you know what, Scott, you made a lot of progress. And I think that was key as well. Like, Scott, like, do you see how much you've sort of progressed and and how far you've moved on since when we first met? And every week you would say that and remind me. And I think sometimes we never really take the moment to step and go, do you know what? I'm doing all right here. And and like, I'm making- Because sometimes we don't allow ourselves to have the big perspective because our perception is so very powerful. We keep measuring ourselves according to the day. The day is the thing that that shapes us and defines us. And we want to go beyond just the day and think about the bigger picture of you. Not only how far you've come, but where you're going. So we develop a big horizon for you instead of the micro horizons of every day. Some people live in really short horizons. They just got to get to the end of the week. So they measure themselves by the end of the week and then they collapse into drinking and drugs and things like that. If you've got a big horizon, you think, okay, I can slip up because I have a vision. I know where I'm going. I know what I want. And it's about allowing people in the work to develop a vision for themselves about how they want to be. It's that lovely distinction between how do you want to live and what do you do? If you prioritize how you want to live, how you want to be with yourself, then that will determine what it is you do. If you get it the other way around, you're serving a job rather than the job serving you. Mm. And, and to be honest, Gareth, I think that's something that I'm continuously working on. You're always asking me, Scott, like, what does success mean to you? Yeah. And it's not it's not something I've got the answer to right away, but recently I've been writing down what makes me happy. Yeah. It could be simple things, like I said, like walking my dog or getting out in the mountain. Like, and you think, well, why am I chasing millions of pounds then? What, why do I need that? Because that's not necessarily going to make me happy. Through working with someone like yourself, that's when we have that time to reflect on what makes us happy. What does success mean to us? And, and I think that's... What a lot of people just don't take the time to do. They don't take the time to reflect. And, you know, part of the understanding of what success is can only come out of reflection about what what does this feel like? What does this feel like? Does this feel like success? And you can have a lot of money. I've met a lot of wealthy people. But, you know, it is really not connected to success. But they think it is. They're running on that formula. It's a bit of a media formula that money equals success. It really isn't about that. I've never had so much evidence. It's about, you know, understanding what success means just for you. Yeah. And I feel like for me now, success is progression, just like daily progression on different areas of my life as well. And and I feel like that's why you're always going to be part of my life. And I think I want to make it really clear to anyone watching this that it's not like mental health for me is like an ongoing process that you always continuously want to work on. It's not like, right, okay, so I'm not in, in as bad as a place I was. So I'm going to stop seeing you now. It's like, no, how can I keep getting better? How can I keep getting stronger? And for me, Gareth, you will always form a part of my self-development journey in terms of now I see you once a month. I used to see you once a week. And I want to make it clear to anyone out there, there's nothing taboo about seeing a therapist, right? For me, there's nothing more manly 
than someone who is literally taking that time to address their problems, deal with their emotions and invest in themselves as well. It takes actually, the, the word we've got to use here again is courage. It actually takes courage to leave the version of you that everyone knows and to step into your own version, to step into what it is you want for you. It takes courage to do that and to do the work and to go through the, the exercises and to get a better understanding of how you got to this point. At what point in someone's life should they look at seeking therapy? Like what sort of criteria would you say? If someone's watching this or listening to this now, yeah. how would they know that they need to sort of seek help from someone like yourself? I think a really good point is that point where they don't understand what's going on, where they've lived through old formulas and the old formulas aren't working, where they followed their father, for example, into forms of behavior that aren't working for them. And yet they feel disloyal leaving the father or not following the path of the father, when they feel like they don't really want to go and do the things that the boys are all doing, when they feel that at a dead end, if you like, where they're confused about what's happening and they don't know who to talk to about that. And it's about reshaping themselves and giving them the power. It's not a lot, it's just giving them the power to understand they can choose the direction they want to go in. But when the group and family traditions hold sway, it takes courage to pull away from that. It also takes courage to pull away from the stereotype of masculinity, endlessly repeated in the media. Men are supposed to behave in a certain way. They're supposed to have a certain relationship to their emotions, which is cool and cold. Well, you know, that doesn't serve anyone but the people making those pictures. We need to be kinder and warmer and more sensitive to what it is men want. Then we could all make those changes. But it's difficult. It takes courage. Yeah, it's difficult. But listen, the reason why I want to talk about this so much is because I want to be living proof that I did find the courage to come and see you and I did make that decision to, to work on myself. And honestly, like I've never been in such a, a stronger position in my life, not just physically but mentally and everything that's happening for me now is because I made that decision to work on myself and I was very lost I was very confused I'd, I'd hit that brick wall that you were talking about I didn't know why I kept self-sabotaging why I just yeah. didn't really like myself and I didn't really know where to turn the other thing here is that you were very much in the view of others there's a phrase called other directed in this case it means that someone who takes their view of themselves from other people and when we feel other-directed, other people have all the power to determine whether we're worthwhile or not. So that can be exhausting. To be other-directed means to wake up hoping other people think well of us. That's a, lot. That's a lot. So we have to get to a point where we realize that we're connected, but we don't depend on the connections. We want to be liked, but we don't need to be liked. Ah, that's a really good point. And Gareth, that's something I'm still working on now, right? Like in terms of I... I'm a people's person. I love to be loved. I get emotional when someone doesn't treat me with respect and like in business and everything else because I'm so sort of wired up by other people. Like that's what yeah. makes me tick. But at the same time is something that we really worked on is self-love and, and you've got to love yourself first and put yourself first. Not be selfish. We call it selfful as Kate Cocker once taught me. People need to prioritize themselves sometimes and yeah. put that work into figuring out what makes them happy protect that, create some boundaries around that and really lean into it. And I think that's where the progression and happiness comes from. If you are listening to this right now, I just want to say I can't recommend seeking therapy enough to anyone. You don't have to be manically depressed. You could just want more for yourself, right? You just want to be kinder to yourself. Yes. More understanding of yourself, more accepting of yourself and ready to make changes you want to make, not the group that you want to do for you. Making yourself the priority enables you to be better with others.
100% Gareth thank you so much for joining me today and how do people get in contact with you Gareth if they want to sort of seek some help first men should talk.com just go to the website and there's material there and you see what we do and the program is laid out there as well but Gareth thank you for all the work you've put into me I'm, I'm going to continue to see you at least once a month because I just love having that reassurance and that person to speak to and I appreciate all the work you've done for me I'm looking forward to our next session I am too look forward to it Scott Thank you so much, Gareth. We'll see you soon, man. You're a legend. Oh, thank you so much for listening. And I hope you got out of that as much as I did. But I'm very much at the start of my journey. And like I said, I'm just learning as I go. And please feel free to tag me in any stories or any little inspirations you get on socials as well. Tag me on Instagram, at scott.thomas, and I'll make sure I try and come back as well. But anyway, thank you for today. Please make sure you rate, review, and follow wherever you listen to your podcast and I will see you next week for another special guest and some more life lessons.